Gyrish Nation, right when we thought we were into the football offseason and you wouldn't be hearing from Mike and me until the summer to get ready for the 2023 season, news is brewing in South Bend. Tom Reese is unofficially, I don't think it's signed in ink yet, but unofficially headed to Alabama to take the offensive coordinator role alongside Nick Saban. And we are currently left with an offensive coordinator vacancy uh, here at Notre Dame. Mike, we'll get into some more Q&A, but just initial reaction. How are you feeling about this? So I think the thing with Notre Dame, and this is really how we've sold our program to recruits and current players, as long as I can remember, is we get people on board with the program. And I think now the good thing is that you have a coach like Marcus Freeman who is more invested day to day. He has good relationships with all the players. So my first thought when I found out Tommy Reese was leaving was, oh no, are we going to are we going to see some players leave for the transfer portal? Are we going to have some recruits decommit? That's certainly possible, but I think because the type of player who commits to our program tends to just be on board with the school, they, they're not necessarily committing just to a coach. Certainly that's part of it, but I think that makes our players a little bit stickier. So I, I think from that standpoint, I, I feel okay. Um, obviously, anytime you change an offensive coordinator or a really high-profile position like that, there's a little uncertainty. So I think what will really matter is is who we fill it with. So I think if we, if we, and we'll talk about this more, but I think if we get a hire that, that we all feel good about someone who we think could come in and bring some new dimensions to our offense, I think I'll be feeling pretty good. As for Tommy, we'll get into this more as well, but I actually, I actually feel pretty happy for him. I mean, I think this is a really big opportunity and he's clearly a rising star in college football. And I think this just, uh, this just accelerates his trajectory. Who knows? In a couple of years, we could be talking about offensive coordinator in the NFL, Tommy Reese. He could be a head coach at another uh, Power 5 program. And God willing, who knows, five, six years, ten years, maybe he finds his way back to South Bend as a, as a head coach. But overall, it's I, I wouldn't say uh, I'm particularly up uh, like upset or stressed about it. Like I said, I feel I actually feel happy for Tommy as opposed to some people who are calling him a traitor. That's, that's definitely not where my head is at. For sure. We'll, we'll get into this in more detail, but at the end of the day, um, you know, th- this is his livelihood. This is his career. He's taking a contract at Alabama that pays north of $2 million a year. Um, if you get those opportunities in your, your careers, who, who are we to judge? Um, this show, second year in a row, we have to do an emergency podcast on offseason coaching changes with, with a coach departing to the SEC. And these coaching changes are always more qualitative than they are quantitative. It's really hard to point to hard data. Even when we're looking at the Freeman hire, you're picking one or two kind of case studies. Can he look like Kirby Smart or is it more like Ryan Day or is it more someone else that, you know, fizzled out and didn't work? It's much more qualitative. And and Mike and I tend to be more analytical in our takes and, and what drives the discussion on this show. So we've set up five questions. I'm going to serve as the moderator. Mike's going to take the first shot at answering the questions and I'll chime in with with anything I've got but my initial take on all this is Mike and I don't know it's going to happen we don't know if the next offensive coordinator is going to be incredible or if Tom Reese is going to go on to have a hall of fame coaching career like coaching changes are just a crapshoot and so these are our initial takes but on all of it I'd say we we're going to try to not overreact or underreact um, just because it's very fluid right now we don't know who's going to come in as the offensive coordinator let alone how they'll do, um, and so much more of a qualitative show um, that, than maybe some of the more uh, an- analytical shows we've we've had throughout the season. So, Mike, with that, you ready to dive into our Q&A? Let's do it. 
DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on football this holiday season. Same game parlays, easy and fast payouts, player prop options, and much more. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and much more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the DraftKings Sports app now. Use code TPPN. That's T-P-P-N. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get a $150 bonus in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Minimum age of 21 and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. The show goes on. All right, first question, Mike. You alluded to this in the intro, and and I'll also give context that Tom Reese is an alumni of the class of 2014, along with with you and me. So, uh, you know, a, a a classmate of ours in undergrad. On top of it. Are you mad or happy for Tom Reese? So my perspective, and this applies to the sports world in general, is I, I never particularly get tied up in these, these measures of loyalty and betrayal. Certainly there's some instances that can sting a little bit more. I was a Cavs fan back when, uh, I've been a Cavs fan my entire life. So certainly when LeBron, uh, left for Miami that first time, I would be lying to you if I said that that didn't sting, but, uh, I actually don't, looking back, no, I actually don't blame LeBron for it. I think it was a good move for his career. He grew up in the Cleveland area. He he had been there for a long time, and he wanted to try something new, try a new challenge, try a new opportunity. And so I, I think that that general instinct of mine, that, that applies here to Tommy Reese. So Tommy Reese, as you said, Brett, he was in our class, quarterback for Notre Dame during some very memorable years during the Kelly era. He was on the team when we made the national championship. He was that year. He was actually filling in more in spot duty. So situations where Everett Golson maybe looked a little overwhelmed or if he got a little banged up, Tommy came in and he actually filled in pretty admirably in, uh, from, from a relief standpoint. And then aside from that, he's, he's been at the school in a coaching capacity for a really long time. So seven years as the quarterback's coach, three years as an offensive coordinator. So he's been at the school for quite a long time. So. I think anyone who is really upset that he left, I, I think wh- my question is, what what do you really expect? What do you want him to do? Do you want him to stay at Notre Dame for for forty years, basically, and never try anywhere else? I think I think it's very reasonable for someone who's especially an up and comer, someone who has been uh, has received a lot of interest from from other schools, other jobs, to to go and and, and try try a new challenge. I, Notre Dame is certainly his comfort zone. So even if it wasn't Alabama, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really totally blame him if he wanted to go somewhere else and really test what his, uh, you know, really test himself outside of his comfort zone, which is South Bend. And aside from that, that's, that's one point. Another point is just the opportunity itself. So I think this is a tremendous opportunity. If you took a basketball coach from, say, an assistant basketball coach in the seventies and you said, Hey, you can, uh, you can go be John Wooden's right hand person. You can go be his assistant coach. How, what do you think about that? I feel like, I feel like any reasonable person would say, wow, that, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. That's a legendary basketball coach. And I think it's the same thing here with Nick Saban. Nick Saban, 
look, Alabama, we've uh, we've taken our shots from them uh, the last twenty years, but uh, there's no there's no question that they've been the the premier college football program since Nick Saban took over. And Nick Saban has cemented himself as the top college football coach of all time, in my opinion. So the opportunity to be one of the main people in his coaching staff, particularly at a position, a coordinator position that's done really well in terms of uh, exit opportunities, to me that that seems like a something that would be really hard to turn down. I think, um, and we'll, we'll get into this more in terms of like how how Saban's coordinators have actually done uh, after their Alabama job, what their next job was. But basically, it's been pretty good. Particularly, it's been really good, particularly at the offensive coordinator position. So I think, I think from that standpoint, this is a great way for Tommy to to test himself. I think it's a great way for him to accelerate his career. Again, he's an up and comer. I think this potentially gets him to a, a head coaching job or maybe a really enticing NFL offensive coordinator position a couple years. You know, it could get him there a few years faster than it would have otherwise. Overall, I'm happy for him. I can't blame him. This just feels like something that would be really hard to turn down. It's not really a – I don't see it as a lateral opportunity. I see this as an upgrade. Like LSU offensive coordinator, Miami offensive coordinator, these are positions Tommy, uh, I think, received offers from. Those those would have been laterals or maybe even slight downgrades depending on your perspective. This is one job that is truly – in college football that truly is an upgrade. And I, Alabama, Notre Dame historically, peers, I would say, same tier. But right now Alabama is clearly uh, – especially with Nick Saban at the helm up the premier college football program, uh, Georgia as well. But I think being one of Nick Saban's right-hand people is, is something that would, you, you'd be kind of out of your mind to just not take that opportunity seriously. And I can't blame anyone for actually going for it. I agree with everything you said. I won't repeat all of what I thought were really great points. Two, two things I'd add on. One, at the end of the day, this is someone's livelihood. This is their career. A lot of people were mad about Brian Kelly. One of the biggest for leaving for LSU, one of the biggest reasons why I'm still a defender of Brian Kelly, setting aside the successes he had at Notre Dame, he was offered a hundred million dollar 10 year contract that will take him into his seventies. No one in their right mind should ever turn that down and Notre Dame wouldn't extend him past the next four or five years. So he had a chance to increase annual pay, and double the length of the contract. It's not that different for Tom Reese. He's now the highest paid coordinator in college football and on a fast track to be a head coach that pays way more than that. So for his career, just dollars and cents for him, um, anyone in his inner circle should be supporting this move for him. And, and I take um, a similar view. The other thing is no one should be surprised. He... Uh, interviewed for the Miami offensive coordinator job a year ago with Mario Cristobal, wound up not taking it. That kind of gets lost in all the Brian Kelly out, Marcus Freeman in, Reese does the Instagram, you know, I'm not effing leaving. It gets lost in the shot shuffle that he actually interviewed to go somewhere else a year ago. So this is not new news. We knew at some point in time, Marcus Freeman was going to have to be CEO Marcus Freeman and, and, you know, hire coordinators and manage his staff. So not surprised. Totally get it. You you hinted at this. Let's talk a little bit more about where Reese is going, and then we'll switch back to Notre Dame's program. But Mike, walk us through the track record of being a coordinator for Saban. You alluded to it, but what does it really mean now for Reese's career, and, and what's it look like for, for the former coordinators, particularly on the offensive side of the ball under the Saban coaching tree? Frankly, it's it's prolific. I, I knew that their offensive coordinators had done really well after after serving under Saban, but it, I think once I listed it all out, I went I went through an exercise where I just 
listed all the coordinators where they went afterwards. It, it even exceeded what I was expecting. So I'm going to start around uh, so 2014, 2015. That's that's really when Saban's program was was up and running. It was it was kind of like the well oiled machine. There's no question that they were the top the top program in, in college football. And there was no question that Saban was one of the all-time greats at that time. So at that time, 2014, 2015 seasons. So you had Lane Kiffin as the offensive coordinator and then uh, Kirby Smart uh, as the defensive coordinator. So Kirby Smart, he had been at Alabama for a really long time. He'd basically, he'd been there almost since the beginning. He, he started in 2008 and he had been Saban's right-hand person on the defensive side of the ball. Really successful. We all know what we all know. Kirby's success story. He went to Georgia, starting as a head coach in 2016, and then he's he's won two national championships since then. However, Lane Kiffin, he also got a, a pretty good exit opportunity as well after that. So basically, so he, Lane Kiffin, he was also the offensive coordinator in 2016. After that season, he got a head coaching job at FAU, and he did well there. And now he's since and and now he's actually the head coach at, at Ole Miss, where he's he's been doing pretty well there. And um, it's worth noting, Lane Kiffin, when he got to Alabama, was essentially damaged goods. He had had a pretty mixed track record. He had had middling success at a few places. He had hopped around. So this isn't exactly someone who. I think going into his role at Alabama was perceived as a hot commodity. He, he really rehabbed his image, which is that, that's a theme with a lot of Saban's coordinators. A lot of these people, he's been able to kind of rehab their image and then they go on and they've had pretty good success. Now, after, after Lane Kiffin on the offensive coordinators, I'm going to focus on the offensive coordinators here just because that's, that's more relevant for, for Tommy. But, um, on the offensive uh, side of the ball, you had Brian uh, Dabble and then Mike Loxley. And so, uh, Brian Dabble, he went to the Bills as the offensive coordinator in 2018. Successful run there. Now he's the head coach of the New York Giants. So that's that's quite a trajectory for offensive coordinator from that year. And then Mike Loxley, the following year, he coached one more year at Alabama, and then he went to Maryland as a head coach after that, and he's been the head coach since then. So again, another you're just seeing a theme of these guys are either becoming head coaches at programs at the college football level, or they're becoming offensive coordinators uh, in the NFL. And so far, a lot of them... They're doing well at their next stop and actually getting even better jobs after that. Another notable one is Steve Sarkeesian. So Steve Sarkeesian, he was the coach from 2019 to 2020. So after his run, he got a really big job. So he got the uh, the Texas head coach job, and that's that's where he's been since then. And then most recently, Bill O'Brien, he was the offensive coordinator this past season. So he just left, and he's now the the New England Patriots offensive coordinator. So you can see a theme here. Basically, since, since Lane Kiffin, all of the offensive coordinators have grabbed – they have grabbed either either a head coaching job in college football afterwards or an offensive coordinator position in the NFL. And then a lot of these people have gone on to even bigger and better things after that. So I think if you're Tommy Reese, you're looking at this track record for offensive coordinators, and it really just seems like a slingshot to the type of dream position that you would have as a coach. Tommy Reese, his dream is, I'm sure, to either be – I don't know what if he has a preference for uh, you know high-profile head coach in college football or – or an offensive coordinator in the NFL or NFL head coach. My, my sense is that he's he's looking to probably get into the NFL. But there's no question if you look at who has like been an offensive coordinator under Saban, he puts he puts his uh, he puts his coaches in a really good position to grab really interesting jobs afterwards. So, I, like I said, like I was saying in, in my in my comments earlier, I think if you're Tommy, this potentially accelerated your your career trajectory by years. Yeah, watching the reclamation projects of Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian and Bill O'Brien, but also watching up-and-coming coaches like Brian Dabble and Mike Loxley and, and Kirby Smart come, come through the coaching tree, of all of the you know lateral hires, if you will, 
This one doesn't feel like a lateral job going from offensive coordinator to offensive coordinator. This feels like a real promotion with, within the coaching ranks. And maybe that leads to our next question that I got for you, Mike, and, and probably teases out what I think our answer is or, or your answer is. Do you view this as a black eye for the program, particularly coming off of a season where Brian Kelly departs as head coach for LSU? Felt like that was a real knock on the program of putting us kind of a, a, you know, whenever someone leaves for the same job, it kind of makes it feel like you're the lower job, right? The Notre Dame is worse than LSU in, in the coaching ranks. And I get it. Kelly's maybe a different situation. But in any way, shape, or form, do you view this as like a black eye for the program? This sets us back. This makes it harder to recruit. This makes us harder to negotiate a TV contract? Like, Is there any kind of bigger picture story that you're thinking about for Notre Dame as a program, losing a head coach one year, now an offensive coordinator the next year for the same job title? No, and I think it's it's because it's Alabama. Honestly, if it were anyone else, it would be a, at least a little bit of a black eye. And I, I'm saying even a place like Georgia. So Georgia, two titles, right? They're on a roll, but I don't, Kirby doesn't have the same track record sending offensive coordinators to to these really, really interesting positions afterwards. He may get there, but he's not there right now. If you're a Notre Dame fan and you can't agree that Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time, or at least the greatest coach right now, or Alabama is one of the, has been the premier program really since he took over, then I think, I think that then you're just being delusional. I, I think if you try to look at this from an objective standpoint, there's no question that this is an upgrade for Tommy Reese. And if it's an upgrade, it's it's really one of the few jobs that I would say is, is no question like a big upgrade because there are a lot of interesting things right now with the Notre Dame job. So I think probably a couple of things that we're weighing at Tommy is that we have Sam Hartman in our lines looking like it should be good. We have a lot of talent at running backs. Our wide receivers potentially are going to take a step up. So I think Notre Dame right now is actually a pretty interesting place for an offensive coordinator. It's in a better position, I think, than it's been the last couple of years, and a lot of that, a lot of that's due to Tommy and 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 some of his efforts trying to rebuild certain positions. So, I, I think for someone who has the close connections in Notre Dame, had the offense in a position where it was looking pretty good, there really weren't a whole lot of positions out there that would actually be a true upgrade. Alabama is one of them, and I think because it is unquestionably an upgrade, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a black eye for the program. I think, I, I think anyone, I, I really think any program. In America, most off, most offensive coordinators would would probably jump for this. All, all to me that it says is, "Hey, we're not Alabama, but we already knew that." So, I, I don't think uh, I don't think it I don't think it damages anything with our recruiting, unless there's some you know. Of course, you could have some relationships that maybe we have to like reconnect with, but I don't think it has any impact on our our TV contracts or any of that. I think it's just a, it's just another reminder that there's a there's a gap between us and Alabama. And like I said, I think our I think our offense is in a good place. So. That should be enticing to anyone that we're reaching out to to fill this position. For sure. I, I agree with that. The best comparison I have when I was concerned was Elko leaving to Texas A&M. He was the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. He took the same role as defensive coordinator at A&M. And he went to become also at the time the highest paid coordinator in college football under Jimbo Fisher. Of course, Elko stepped away a few years later to take the head coaching job at Duke and did really well in year one. And that was concerning to me in the sense of, one, it was the first sign of someone on Kelly's staff voluntarily leaving, um, which is never a good thing, voluntarily leaving to be something other than a head coach somewhere, um, which is obviously more understandable. 
But it also was a little alarming that Notre Dame was kind of late to the game on the contract situation there. Elko went to A&M to chase the money. Notre Dame eventually matched Texas A&M's offer, and then Texas A&M upped their offer. But to me, that was more of a black eye in the sense that it was showing that Notre Dame was chasing the dollar game. They weren't ahead of it. They weren't at the forefront. They were kind of begrudgingly paying top dollar, but only would do so when they really had to. And I get that Reese is getting paid more now by Alabama, but that's clearly not the driving factor in this decision. He's not going there because Alabama's paying him a little bit more. He's going there because it's just, it's a better job. It sets him up to be a head coach. You're, you're working with Nick Saban. It's all of those things. It's not that Notre Dame wasn't able to keep up in an arms race of cash. That being said, that is in and of itself a separate topic that continues to be an ongoing concern with Notre Dame. Um, you know, everyone keeps talking about like, well, we have the Goog. The, the, the Goog is 10 plus years old now, but by facility standards, despite the upgrades they made to the Goog, um, you know, and, and all of the other renovations we've done with the stadium, we're not necessarily the head of the game in facilities. We're not at the head of the game in NIL. We're not at the head of the game in, um, you know, other dollar areas like private jets and, and and the ability for coaches to use private jets for recruiting um, to, to be more efficient on that end. So there's a lot of dynamics where Notre Dame is kind of trying to play catch up with dollars. I had that feeling about Elko. I didn't have that feeling in, in this re-situation. So I agree. I, I don't think there's any bigger picture to look into this from Notre Dame's perspective other than Tom Reese has the the chance to go and be a coordinator for one of the greatest head coaches of all time, beginning and end of narrative. Definitely. No, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I, so one other thought, you mentioned the private jet. Interestingly, uh, the Alabama private jet is what picked up Tommy Reese and, and brought him to Alabama. Of course. So they're just kind of, just kind of hammer, hammer, further hammering home that point. It's like, Hey, look, we are willing to throw resources to make you as successful as possible. I'm not saying Notre Dame, we don't, expend a lot of money but I, I think at Alabama there, there's no there's no question they're going to do whatever it takes from a financial standpoint to to put their their team in a position to succeed one other thought that I had is someone like Tommy Reese I think a lot of the allure of him is he there's this narrative that he's an up-and-comer right but if you're at Notre Dame for 10 years I, I feel like that kind of kills that that narrative a little bit it's like if you're such an up-and-comer why have you just been in the same position forever right so as I said before, because this is kind of a step up, he's 30 years old. Now he's under the greatest college football coach of all time. The competition in the SEC is going to be really intense. I think if he does well, then really his image of potentially this innovative offensive mind really takes takes hold. And we mentioned we mentioned the positions of the, uh, Saban's former offensive coordinators got really good company. A lot of those coaches, some of them had been previous head coaches. They had done other stuff. Some of them were rehabbing rehabbing their their image but to be part of that company especially tommy reese's age i think that that says a lot and if he's successful it's potentially honestly to me it seems possible that he could get an even more impressive job than some of those people just because there's such a such a movement right now to find the next big offensive mind offensive mind sean mcveigh obviously not a great year uh with the rams this past year they had some injuries but if, if you're an nfl team and you're looking at tommy reese coming off two or three really good years at Alabama, really interesting offense. You might be like, you know what? Let's, let's roll the dice. This, we think this guy might be the next big thing offensively. Screw, screw an offensive coordinator. Let's just make him a head coach and let's just try to, and let's just see what he can do. So I think that these are the things that are on the table, uh, in this position. So when, the, when that's the upside for someone like Tommy Reese, that's something that 
Notre Dame right now can't offer under under Marcus Freeman. So tying that back, there's no. I, I don't think there's any way that that could be a black eye for the program. It's just such a tremendous opportunity for for Tommy Reese. And again, like Bama, uh, yeah, certainly I'm no Alabama fan. I, I enjoy seeing them lose, but as a as a as a college football fan, you you, you can't not respect what they've done since Nick Saban's been at the helm. For sure. So switching now to, to the task at hand of finding a coordinator before we get into potential candidates, how are you feeling about Freeman being the guy to manage this hiring process? He came in with the reputation of being a recruiter, being a player's coach, and Jack Swarbrick in the intro press conference said, I didn't need the CEO-like coach because of where Notre Dame's program is today versus, say, when we hired Brian Kelly over a decade ago, we were looking for more of a CEO run an organization coach. Freeman, with his inexperience, with his youth, just frankly hasn't done this a lot. We're now going to be hiring a new coordinator for the second straight year. I'd say the jury's still probably out a little bit on Al Golden, um, although overall pretty good first year, but, but jury's still out. How do you feel about Freeman now in this moment? Um, hiring especially on the offensive side of the ball for Freeman with a defensive background so I feel a lot better about it than I would if this happened last year so last year Freeman had to make a bunch of hires and like you said the jury's still out on some of them at this point he's got a year under his belt I think I think Freeman has a much better feel for what the roster is there's certain positions we've been able to uh, even incrementally improve on offense so I think that that puts him in a better position I, I like that he can really really just focus on this hire he doesn't have a bunch of he doesn't have a bunch of other positions that he can fill so i think i think that helps i think another thing that helps as i said is we've made some improvements on certain positions of the offensive side of the ball whether it's through the transfer portal through recruiting so from a perspective coach as i alluded to before this is actually a pretty attractive job and i think also because freeman is a defensive minded coach he's more likely to kind of fully give the keys to the offensive car to a new offensive coordinator. You're not going to it's not going to be a situation where the head coach is is calling the plays or where the head coach is is really really intervening quite a bit into the offensive game plan. So I, I think that that makes it pretty enticing from that standpoint. In terms of Freeman's hiring abilities, we we don't know as you said, we, we don't know for sure how he how he is with this stuff. Is he is he someone who's going to be like 5 years from now we'll look back and we'll say yeah, Freeman really really savvy. Uh, as a head coach hiring uh, hiring coaches. He, he tended to get most of them right. We don't know if that's going to be the case here. But I, I do think all these factors make it make it a more favorable position for Freeman going in. I, like I said, I think he should be able to find someone uh, pretty good. It's, it's an attractive job. And apparently Freeman knew this was coming. I think he and, he and Tommy, it sounds like they had a pretty direct and, and upfront relationship. So Freeman knew that Tommy wasn't going to be sticking around for a long time. An opportunity like this would be coming around at some point. So I don't I don't think I don't think Freeman is has been caught on his heels. I think I imagine this is something that he's thought about already. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I, I am I would say I'm optimistic that he'll be able to find find someone find someone interesting to to replace Tommy. Yeah. My overall takeaway on this is it is a concern. We have no way of vetting it right now, right? Like, th this is the big question mark about the Freeman era. But saying whether or not we think he's going to do well or not do well, we just don't have enough data points to, to go off of to, to really have a view. So final question for the show, Mike. Who's – and and answer this however you will. Who are the names that you're hearing, but also who's top of your list for us to go and get as an offensive coordinator? And I'd also preview that the one – 
bummer about this right now is it's pretty late in the cycle. There's a lot of names out there, but it's February, right? This isn't like this happened around all the other head coaching changes two, two months ago. This is pretty late in the game. Um, I think there's still a lot of interesting names to, to go and find as a coach. But how are you feeling about the short list of candidates and, and, and where would you like to see it go? There's some decent options. I, there's always the possibility that we're going to be able to poach someone. Like I said, it's, it, it seems like an attractive job right now. Notre Dame is a big school. We can offer a lot of money. So, and, and Freeman, frankly, is a very charming guy. So I, there is that possibility that he could, we could, there could be someone that we grab that we're not anticipating. But I'm just, uh, Pete Sampson, he, he and Matt Fortuna, they actually published an article where they made, they had a little short list of, of, of the uh, potential offensive coordinator hires. And so I'll just mention a few here. But so Paul Chris, the former Wisconsin head coach, that's one name that they mentioned. Josh Gaddis, former Miami offensive coordinator, former Michigan offensive coordinator. He, he's another option that they gave. Uh, Joe Moorhead, that's a name that pops up periodically when there's a open Notre Dame position. He's currently the Akron head coach. That was another name that was mentioned. Slade Nagel, I'm hoping I got that name right, but the Tulane offensive coordinator, you uh, might remember him most recently from Tulane's shocking win over USC. So he's got some positive momentum, uh, and Tulane had a really good year this year. Uh, Gerard Parker, so Sampson and Fortuna mentioned the possibility that Drop Parker could be someone who could get the nod to the offensive coordinator position, and then we would just fill another assistant role. So that's one option if we want to if we want to keep it in house. Uh, Warren, the one part about Parker too, by the way, I know he's our tight end coach. He was an offensive coordinator at West Virginia, so he does have experience in that role. So to to me, that's a particularly interesting one to stay in house. Yeah, and, and Reese apparently leaned on him quite a bit with the game planning. Um, and he's someone that Freeman really respects. It's, it's, it's a coach that Freeman insisted. So basically, if you rewind to when Parker was hired, Tommy Reese apparently had his own ideas of who should be the, the tight ends coach. And Freeman generally let Tommy have free reign over his hires. But this is, this is one example where Freeman actually kind of put his foot down and he said, actually, you know what? I, I'm going to insist that we, we hire Parker. So this is, this guy was actually more of a, a Freeman hire to begin with. And, but then once he actually got in, he really won the respect of everyone. Like I said, it was, he was someone that Reese really leaned on. So if, if you're sticking in house, it seems like this is probably the guy that we're going to go with. Like you said, Brett, he has some experience as a, as a, as a coordinator and, and calling plays. So, so certainly an option. Uh, the next one is Warren Ruggiero, Wake Forest's offensive coordinator. So obviously he would have familiar with Hartman. However, Sam Hartman left Wake Forest for a reason. So I, I don't know if he came in, if we'd be doing their slow mesh style of offense, which is a very unique like scheme essentially. So it's possible that if someone like that came in, we would maybe do, maybe we wouldn't do that because there's a re- Sam Hartman didn't basically, he left because he didn't, he obviously wanted to uh, play for a team with, with more talent, but he also, I think, wanted to get into a more traditional type of offense. But that's one name that's out there. Uh, Brandon Streeter, the former Clemson offensive coordinator, he's free. However, he got fired by Dabo Sweeney, so it's not exactly, he's not like an, like a hot name right now. He did, co- he did coach Trevor Lawrence though, so that's interesting, and he would slot into that quarterback coach's role. And then finally, the other name that they had on, on here, so this might make some Notre Dame fans cringe, but Charlie Weiss Jr. <laughs> uh, so he's, he's actually, he's actually, he's, he's young. He's a little he's, uh, tuna. 20. Yeah. Yeah. He's 29 years old. Uh, so he's young, kind of similar to, to Tommy Reese right now. Uh, Ole Miss's co-offensive coordinator. So he's been learning under Lane Kiffin. So and he's done pretty well. But again, I don't know if that's going to bring back traumatic memories for Notre Dame fans. 
I think, uh, again, he's young. So for someone like Freeman might be wanting to get someone with a little more experience now. But having listed all those, I think if you were to tell me who, if, if I had a gun to my head, who do I, who would I pick from this list? I think Joe Moorhead is, is probably the one that I'm most interested in. So Joe Moorhead, he's put together some, he put together some really good offenses at Penn State. It didn't do as well at Mississippi State, but he has head coaching experience and, and now he's, now he's at Akron. And I think, his 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 role at Akron, he's a head coach, but I think certainly you could argue that the offensive coordinator position at Notre Dame is more interesting than being Akron's head coach. He's like he's someone who uh, I would say generally gets a lot of interest from various offensive coordinator positions, um, and he has an affinity for Notre Dame. That's that's well documented. So I think I think someone like Moorhead would be good. He's demonstrated clear ability to put together. Uh, really, really strong offenses. And he has some, again, some head coaching experience that Freeman could, could lean on a bit. So I think he's a good balance of experience. Someone who's put together good offensive game plans has consistent, has done that with some consistency and seems like he'd actually be a good fit for Notre Dame. So I, I think that's kind of where my head head's at. I think someone's like Slade Nagel from Tulane or, or someone like, uh, like Warren Ruggiero. Those guys are, they're they're up. I would say right now they're a bit more up and comers. They, uh, you know, some of them have been around for a while, but I think they're they've done well. They've done given the talent that they have, they've done better than you would expect. And but I think in terms of how they would perform at at Notre Dame's level, they're they'd be a little riskier. I think in my mind, it's um, you know, I I think we could probably get someone who's a little more proven like Joe Moorhead, and I, I think that would be that would be my instinct. Yeah. I agree with the names you're throwing out. I'll add one more to the list. Joe Brady, who, of course, was the mastermind behind the LSU offense in the Joe Burrow championship season. He's the quarterback's coach with the Buffalo Bills. Um, in between, I believe he had a coordinator role with Matt Rule on the Panther staff, and it didn't really go well, and, and kind of that whole thing fizzled out, and Rule, of course, got fired this year. Um, so if Joe Brady is looking to return to college football and elevate from a position coach at the NFL ranks to a coordinator title, that one's interesting to me. The real question with Moorhead, I guess, too, one is he's a head coach right now, um, was 2-10 and ten in his first season, although was taking over for an abysmal Akron um, team that was actually 2-10 and ten the year prior, 1-5 and five in a COVID-shortened season. So, I mean, he, he's taken over a tall task. That's a team that won three games in, I think, three or four seasons. So um, might be looking to move on to greener pastures and just win some football games outside of Akron. Um, yeah. The other knock, though, on Moorhead is that he didn't do well at Mississippi State, was out after two years, um, made two bowl games. So, like, you know, he's above 500, but didn't go particularly well at Mississippi State, although I'd say, again, a hard place to win in, in the SEC West. Um, a guy that was a winner for a long time at Fordham. You mentioned his years at Penn State, so a really great track record. Even in his um, one year as the Oregon offensive coordinator, they won yep. the Pac-12. So a lot of times I try to avoid coaches that are a reclamation project that, that are kind of on the, you know, on a downward trajectory, didn't do well in their last role. I don't put more head in that bucket. Um, you could make the argument for it, but I think looking at what he did at Oregon, frankly, I tend to think Mississippi State got rid of him too soon. And, and I think, you know, he was doing a better job there, but just tough place to win. Um, I, I think he's top of my list. Joe Brady's up there. I think Gerard Parker is a great name. Um, but I really hope we don't go the route of like, uh, 
a Josh Gaddis who just didn't work as the Michigan offensive coordinator. Or I'll put Paul Christ in that bucket. Like, Paul Christ in this RTDB, super old school, won't innovate, won't really go to a pass-heavy offense. Um, that's probably my biggest concern for Marcus Freeman as a defensive-minded coach. If you look at what it takes to win a national championship, even Kirby Smart with some of the greatest defenses, even in still a run-heavy offense, went and got Todd Munkin, who... Todd Munkin's, you know, biggest background that really elevated him in the coaching ranks was coaching Nick Mullins as the head coach at Southern Mississippi. And Nick Mullins threw for like 4,500 yards and 40 touchdowns. Like they were slinging it. Todd Munkin is a very creative offensive mind that loves to put the ball in the air, balanced with running it. Um, Nick Saban has obviously completely switched from RTDB over a decade ago to winning SEC titles and national titles with uh, Tua and Jalen Hurts and Mac Jones and, you know, most recently a Heisman for Bryce Young by really becoming a pass heavy, albeit still balanced offense. And, and the same thing applies to, you know, Ohio State and, and other pro- Clemson has won it with, you know, great running games with guys like Trevor Etienne, but won the championships and, and got to the playoff with Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson and, incredible quarterback and and passing offenses and so who I'm least excited about are guys like Paul Christ where I feel like we'd be going to a really conservative run direction that might help us win 10 games but is really putting a ceiling on trying to actually win a title I get more excited about Joe Moorhead and Joe Brady um you know I'll put the two lane coach in that bucket um Guys that are innovative and creative and again, Tom Reese, I'd, I'd put in the bucket of innovative and creative and we ran the ball a lot this year. So this isn't to say you can't have balance or, or you can't still be a run first team, but you've got to be able to recruit to the quarterback and wide receiver position. You've got to be able to creatively open up your playbook with the passing game. And my biggest thing that I'm watching for is, is a defensive minded coach in Freeman going to be aggressive in the scheme that is being set up on the offensive side of the ball. That's probably my top priority. Um, agreed, Moorhead fits that, along with a bunch of other candidates. I think there's a lot of good directions to go here and, and, and a lot of options for Freeman. Yeah, definitely. I'm with you on that. If we hired Paul Chris, I think I would be getting a little nervous that we're, we're just playing it safe. And as you mentioned uh, very clearly, Brett, is that nowadays you really need to be able to air it out or you need you need an innovative coach that that knows how to stretch the field certainly you need to be able and right we were talking about this before we actually started recording you you need to affect be able to effectively run the ball you need to have that ability but that doesn't mean that you should just run the damn ball constantly as we've seen in modern college football the elite elite offenses they just have a prolific ability to just spread the field explosive passing downfield and, and that's really the way to do it i think if you get a paul christ it's less likely we're going to see that we're going to see more conservative play calling we're going to see more running we're going to be leaning on our offensive line not that that can't work too but i think if you want to take that next step you're not going to get there just just running the damn ball essentially and, and he made another point i think with moorhead it's interesting because yeah he his track record as a head coach was not great but so far but his his track record as an offensive coordinator is as uh, there, there really aren't many blemishes on it, and I think that that's kind of what I'm what I'm leaning on more here when he comes to Notre Dame. It's, it's for the job that he would be given here. He he has a really good 
he's, he's produced really good results for it. And I think one, one reason that, uh, it seems like he maybe didn't work at Mississippi State as much is it sounds like he maybe was not a great culture fit down there. This is a guy, he's not from the South. So I think, I think some of those, some of those issues could have, uh, could have come up there. But, but if he's back, if he's at Notre Dame, Midwest is his comfort zone. I don't think we have to worry about any of that there. I think he'd, he'd fit in pretty well. So agree with you on all that, Brett. I think, I think Moorhead, I, Joe I, Brady would be really interesting too. I think, would he be willing to, uh, stop working with, with Josh Allen to come, come work at Notre Dame? Maybe. Uh, I, I think if, I think if he's interested, certainly he would be, he would be a really good option as well. I've heard people also throw out the name Brian Hartline. I think that's, that's wishful thinking, frankly. Hartline mm-hmm. has a really good gig at Ohio State. That wide receiver room is, is, uh, one of the best rooms, one of the best positional groups in all of college football. Certainly Ryan Day has a lot of influence on the offense, but, Hartline, he's, he's his alma mater. He's at his dream school and now he's the offensive coordinator there and he's a rising star. So I, I don't really see why he would jump to Notre Dame, even if, even if he is really good friends with, with Marcus Freeman. To me, that doesn't seem like it's enough. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think as long as it's kind of more on the, on the more innovative side of, uh, of thing, if you're going for a coordinator that tends to be more innovative, to me, that's the key, key thing here. Um, someone like Slade Dangle at Tulane, even if he's a little riskier, if we're kind of at least leaning more that way, to me, that makes me feel better about the hire. For sure. Completely agree. So a lot of news to follow here in the next coming days and, and weeks. We'll likely be back on the horn for another emergency podcast episode once Notre Dame makes an announcement on where we're going to replace Tom Reese. Until then, enjoy the offseason. Garish. Garish.